do we need to do an intro? Like, um, we didn't decide on any music that we wanted to do. Isn't this the 26th episode, you guys? 36. <laughs> hey, don't insult us. Do you us. not have some sort of routine? God. Uh. <laughs> we woke up in the kitchen saying, how the hell did this shit happen? Oh, baby. I'm good, Lenny. How are you? I'm doing great because I'm sitting here with the illustrious Becky Scott. Hi. Hello. <laughs> illustrious. That's a new uh, descriptor for our guests. Yeah. Yeah. No one's been illustrious yet. I'm honored. We've Thank had you. we've had uh, benevolent, <laughs> kind, <laughs> fun, dazzling, but wow. you get to be illustrious. Lenny knows. Lenny and I met once. <laughs> I was drunk. Nice. <laughs> two for two. We met. We were drinking. Which is why I said everything that I said to him to you. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> That's my go-to with comedians. Nice. I'm not like, I feel like I am a periphery comedy player in the sense that I get to, I get to sit there and observe and I also get the, a bill as a curmudgeonly tech guy. So I just like, be like, no, you can't. Like people will come up to me five minutes before the show. It's like, hey, can you play this sound cue? And if you don't play it at the exact right time, which I'm going to be very vague about, it's going to ruin the whole joke. And I'm like, well. You better really hope I interpret your act well. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's like kidding. very vaudevillian. It's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, yeah. Just kidding. Everyone give me work still. I like I like having this job. Uh, uh, all <laughs> right. So um, speaking of work, uh, Becky, you are currently doing something that is sounds pretty interesting, and I don't know what it is. So what are you exactly? What are you working on right now? So I am putting together an independent film. Cool. Um, actually, it's an interesting story. Uh, I received funding pretty much like right at the same time as I was laid off. So it was very serendipitous. Ooh, how fortuitous. So, and yeah, it was, yeah. It's, um, we would call that a synchronicity in the spiritual world. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I believe you. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, I'm still going to like have to hustle to like pay my bills, but, um, it's the first time that I've done anything like this and well, it's really, and it is, it's so exciting. Well, I, I'm sorry More to interrupt. Specific. But no, I'm, how, um, so it's going to be a short feature. Cool. Uh, so basically our strategy, I had worked with my friend. I mean, I wrote the script, mm-hmm. but I've like worked with her on lots of other scripts. We always would write for fun mm-hmm. um, since moving here. We've like lived together for most of the time that we've lived here. And uh, so I wrote this one like a year and a half ago, and I originally wrote it as a pilot. And then um, when this whole thing happened, I was like, okay, I want to turn it into a feature because it it was sort of like, I don't know, if you think of like HBO pilots, like many of those can with tweaking be turned into like a full story. Um, So we turned it into a like 52 minute feature. Oh, cool. So our strategy is to make it as short as possible while still qualifying for feature status at, at oh, festivals. Oh, good idea. Yeah, good. so... Yeah. And Which is how long? Um, so the ones that we looked up were... F- it was a 50-minute cutoff, so we're probably going to shoot like 56 minutes so that we... Because we're going to be cutting some out. 
So this is a just like this story. podcast. <laughs> did you add? Did you add stuff that you wanted to be in it originally, or did you like figure? No, out I can't. New, you came up with new stuff. It was actually it was very interesting. I didn't. I thought it was going to be a lot easier to turn it into a feature, even though I just said to you it like it was. It wasn't easy. It was. It was actually really hard. Like I worked for like thirty two hours like last week, changing the storyline completely huh. because the thing with a pilot is like you can introduce people and not explain why they're there uh, so you're introducing this is the antagonist this is the best friend this is you know with this one everybody has to have like a full complete reason for being there that ends mm. so i had to go back and ask like why is why does this scene exist why does this happen why does this character exist huh. and a lot of times i was like oh there's no reason um so i had to change the whole thing did you cut people out oh yeah for so sure. wait, can you tell us anything about the story? Yeah, I can give you the one-liner. This this will be my practice. I've been <laughs> This is your pitch. Um, this is your elevator pitch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I should actually have an elevator pitch, but um I'll improv. I'll so tell, I'll tell you whether I'll whether I would make this movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> lie to me. Lenny's a horrible producer, FYI. So <laughs> basically it's um it is a woman moves or a woman visits home after several years to take care of her little sister when their father is arrested for white collar crimes. Uh, the end. That yeah. is the one yeah. sentence nice. description. Nice. So it's like it's like a relationship movie. Yeah. So um, we have a uh, sister-sister relationship. Is one of them evil? Uh, so it, it is a comedy. Okay. The, uh, there I... I always write unlikable characters because I just think that they're better for comedy. Mm. But... Uh, so do you want me to tell you like in four sentences or five sentences, like what the plot is or. Yeah. 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 Okay. Five, five sentences. Great. I'll do my best. Uh, so a woman who uh, hasn't visited home in a very long time because she had a toxic home life um, has to fly home to watch her little sister and kind of take care of the household, you know, whatever after their dad is arrested, their mom is dead she has not visited home in like 14 years. And she basically like, for lack of a better word, has to go back and confront her demons and also decide whether or not to stay because now her sister has no guardian, no uh, primary guardian. Mm. So that's sort of like what the whole arc is, is like her trying to decide whether to stay. It's kind of like uh, Marilyn Robinson meets uh, Rachel getting married. <laughs> I, I have no idea what either of those movies are, but probably... <laughs> Marilyn Robinson is like a Christian writer who wrote a book about homecoming. Um, <laughs> homecoming, like the, the high school thing? That's a deep like, reference. Yeah, house, it, it's, it's about, it's like, it's, it's using the home as a metaphor. Oh, okay. Or like the spiritual center. Um, okay, so that's uh, pretty, uh, some, that's some thorny, very open story. Mm-hmm. I would say, well, I, do, you, do you need... Do you need a tagline as much as you need like kind of an aesthetic or like, you know what I mean? Do you need, what's, what, uh, what do you need to present a film like this? Cause I feel like what, what is the tagline to Lady Bird? Could you tell me? Um, Cause I couldn't. I would, s- I mean, it would be something sarcastic about her identity. Like, sh- you know, I think t- uh, taglines are the worst. Yeah. Thing, you guys. Finding yeah. out who she is. One died strand at a time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'll tell you the tagline for that Netflix show that is being advertised all over Manhattan right now with the girl who's cancer, the best friends. Do you guys don't know what I'm talking yeah, about? It's called, it's show. called Alexa and Maddie. And the 
advertisement is like two girls standing back to back. Neither of them looks like they have cancer. Yeah. And it says, uh, friendship is the best medicine. Uh, <laughs> so, no. And I literally, I took a picture of it and I sent it to like everybody that I'd ever met. And I was like, how did like guys, you can do it. Yeah. This <laughs> show got made. You can do enough. it. Keep going. I they made yourself. a show designed to activate every Alexa in your house. I know, just right? Make it go nuts with all this brainwashing But then Sony was like, um, one of those girls has cancer. <laughs> and I was and like, And it's Fuck. like, all right, yeah, dial it down. But, uh, uh, yeah, and the good doctor is autistic, sure. Oh my God. The good doctor. That show is sociopathic. Yeah. I it's, don't know, guys. That's fucked up. That show is is absolutely a step backwards for anyone who's like an advocate of mental health or like you know disability. It's such a fetishistic show. He also he, he resembles nothing about autism. Yeah, like he and and the idea that he has to be like they make him good because he's like different. So th- then they suture you to the character by making him good. It's fucking terrible. And he like, <laughs> he just sees, sees his ease. Like he's just like a magic house. Awful. <laughs> terrible acting. I, I, I have not even, I have not seen the good doctor. Yeah. You haven't checked out the good doctor. Maybe? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. It comes on, on right road. after, or it came on right after the bachelor, which I watch okay. because I am paid to write a blog about it. Mm. But a funny one. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, and I. Well, I should have read this. Turned it off. Yeah. So quickly. Yeah. You're just, Wait, like, so you were you're doing... just like waiting with the, the remote. No, like, literally, that is me. Like, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask something? I I read uh not I read like a fair share of like vulture write ups and stuff of shows. Mm-hmm. What is it like to actually? Because. What is it like to actually watch a TV show and know that you have a deadline looming over your head that is only getting closer the further show, the show episode goes? The reason I ask is because I see TV as like such a escapist, like lazy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're like tasked with reviewing something, you have to. It represents work to you. So yeah, are you like taking notes and dreading the end of the show, or are you actually enjoying it to some degree? Are you drinking drinking while watching it? No. Uh, professionalism. Yes, I am drinking while okay. watching it. Double professionalism. Um. <laughs> I count that for that's right, because you're a writer, and I think that enhances yeah. your skill. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's I take notes. Like I'll make joke because the reason that I started doing it was I would watch it with my old roommates, and we would just like, you know, riff. Yeah, you, I mean, you just on. roast. It's them. a rite yeah. of passage. I feel like yeah. for people who are into comedy is to like riff over The Bachelor oh, yeah, or yeah. some sort of yeah. reality show, but mostly The Bachelor and. Uh, and then like after they stopped watching it, I was like, I could write something like, I, like, I really want to try writing a recap cause I think it'd be funny. So the, the first like season I did it, um, ju- like for no pay just to like do it. And also cause like I didn't have a job as a journalist yet right. and I wanted to like, can I do this with yeah. my life? And yeah. which well, that didn't work out. But, <laughs> uh, so, um, then it got picked up by this, I, a friend of a friend was an editor of this like weird inclusive, like LGBTQ wedding magazine. And they were like, we'll pay you to do this. Um, but they're very chill. So I don't have like a 7am deadline. Uh, so like nice. I would wake up at like, I could get it in whenever, like I would usually get in by like 11 or noon. And it was very, it was very, very easy. It's not like writing an essay. It's not like writing a cover letter. Yeah. Or like an argument about something. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally just a recap And you make jokes the whole time you're doing it. And I mean, at my old job, I was writing 
like five mini versions of that a day. Okay. So yeah. like if you're not fast. Yeah. Yeah. As a culture writer, is there a lot of temptation to extrapolate and be grandiose with like your analysis and tie it into larger things that you have to resist? No, <laughs> yes. I mean, I think That's you so and I would make very yeah, different yeah. culture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like hearing the way that you guys talk about some things, I'm just like. <laughs> I mean, if you That's, offer me a, go there. a log, I will treat it like a soapbox and stick my index finger in the yeah. air. And start <laughs> oh, I could tell from our things. email thread. I was <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. I but see. now I want to now I want to write satirical posts about like the Mets game I watch. You know what I mean? Because there's all this professional sports journalism out there, but what if I'm a, a ironic asshole about it? You know what I mean? Like, what if I just start to write, like, a, like that's my content that I consume. So As I Jimmy Breslin uh, has indicated, like, that's actually basically what it used to be. Just, like, a bunch of smart-ass guys. I mean, the, the, the like, audience for that shit used to be, like, guys that would spend all their lives drinking in bars. Yeah. I mean, that's what sports writing started off as. I know, but yeah. now it's all this, like, polished professional thing where it's... And I'm sure The Bachelor actually probably has a similar thing. There's probably, like, actual... Because there's a different audiences. There's people, certainly the people in your group who are watching The Bachelor, ironically, and being like, this is ridiculous and hilarious, and let's all, like, kind of lampoon this a little bit. There's also people who take The Bachelor very seriously. <laughs> like, I feel... And I think... I feel like I work with a good portion of them in my day job. So... You know what uh, make it more interesting is if The Bachelor was engineered and produced to be, which may be the case because I'm not sure I've ever seen a second of it, but like if it was engineered to actually provoke questions about someone is like questionable as opposed to specifically like the um, villain or the protagonist mm -hmm. or whatever, um, and then like falling on one side of it or the other could like indicate something about you, then that would yield like very rich debates among people. Well, okay, here's what I love about lowbrow culture, mm -hmm. and this is so. If I ever had to write a book, it would be about this. But um, if you watch, if you consider The Bachelor, it is, if you consider the demographic for The Bachelor, it's like, you know, middle class, upper middle class, mostly white women in the Midwest. You know, like they are, they're not, The Bachelor is not on television for people like me. It's for you know, it's for people who are really going to like dig their heels in and be like, yes, like Joel, get it. People to whom marriage is thrilling. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, like, yeah. for, it's for flyover wine mom like country. They, yeah, <laughs> they care a lot. But so if we look at that, like, and, and we look at how The Bachelor is evolving as a show and like what it's allowing and who it's casting, that tells us like what that demographic, which reflects so much back on America at large finds acceptable. So Interesting. for example, this season, Ari, he was an awful bachelor. He was so fucking boring. Not that hot. He was an atheist. And there was a conversation. I get excited about this stuff. There was a yeah, conversation that, that he had with a woman where it was just a quick snapshot, but he just goes, you know, I don't really know what I believe. I, or, you know, maybe he's agnostic, but he said like, I don't know what's out there. And they basically decided like, that's fine. Like I have faith. You don't, that's fine. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's huge. The, the, that they wait, is The Bachelor usually like a zealot? No, Never a zealot, but Christian. Christian. They're like, and not, and not even. I mean, Catholic would be ethnic in that. Like, they're they're like they're like Lutheran or Protestant. They're all, yeah, yeah. Like they're, like they're like I don't know about these papists that we're letting on the Bachelor now. Well, they've had they've had I'm Jews. Sure. I, oh, that's a good they've point. had Jews. Well, it is okay. Well, it is a Hollywood produced production. <laughs> but like the the Jews never like talk about like yeah. you know the, it's always the, the Christians. The Christians do talk about their faith. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Is Ari not Jewish? Like, no, Ari's not Jewish. Okay. No, he's, hmm. uh, 
yeah, who knows what he is, but, um, no, but that was like really interesting for me, you know, because it is reflecting like the changing American values. Like we're okay now with people who are, you know, not Christians being on the bachelor and that's pretty big. (laughs) I feel like the bachelor sometimes actually gets to be pretty big, like celebrities, right? Yeah. I mean, you get so much money from it. So much money. Like Andy Dorfman, for example. I mean, obviously it varies bachelor to bachelorette. Like Andy Dorfman was a particularly smart bachelorette. She leveraged, and it's actually very interesting what she did. Now she has this whole almost like franchise of her singledom. So the thing about The Bachelor is like now that they have all of these spinoffs, it's in your uh best interest to stay single so that they will cast you so that you will make more money from sponsors, more money from ABC. Yeah. So you have all of these like gorgeous people who are just are like, I can't find love if it's not on TV. Oh and God. so Andy Dorfman though, I don't know if, you know, I like to think that she's just kind of a single for life person, but she was the bachelorette. She broke up with the guy that she'd chosen. And then she went on to write two New York times bestsellers about the single life and she's just fucking riding that wave right now because if she gets a boyfriend it's yeah. like why yeah. she probably has to hide a boyfriend well then is a boyfriend like, really worth a, like a million dollar book contract no, hell no, no. are you kidding <laughs> well, and here here's Never. What, someone that's gonna rob you of the money or the money yeah well, this is yeah. also the ultimate conversation about alienation from society <laughs> you're just completely alienated to the point i of don't know it's kind of like how like snooki wrote a book called a shore thing which I saw on a shelf at a bookstore next to Sylvia Plath. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, Snooki and Sylvia. That's like the equivalent, and, the millennial equivalent of like the Indian seeing the garbage in a single yeah, tear yeah, falling. Exactly. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you got to be, you know, like cashing on what you're known for, you know, for being single and available and looking for love. Like well, that's your well, brand. The real question is then, Becky, is it found is the your more, Stedman doesn't it, mean it's going to ruin it for you. Is the more economically responsible thing in these times to do is to go on The Bachelor or go to a coding boot camp? <laughs> hey man, if you can get on The Bachelor, yeah, yes, I guess it's a smart that one. So go to yeah, coding yeah, boot camp one. for me. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. maybe we should have bachelor boot camps. We should just like this is the next pyramid scheme that we'll get on. It's like we'll do a training. We'll do three months of training, and this will for sure get you on an application on The Bachelor. <laughs> I would love to read an article about um, the economic benefits of being on like The Real Housewives specifically because. Or like Vanderpump Rules or, you know, Summer House, any of these reality shows where they basically have to make fools of themselves. And any stranger who knows them from the show who meets them in in person will be like, you're a horrible person. But like if you take The Real Housewives and this is another really interesting like culture moment from The Real Housewives is like in Real Houses of New York, none of them are married. They really? are all single. They are all business owners. Wait, wasn't Bethany Frankel in The Real Housewives of New York? She was married. And Not she anymore. Wasn't Okay, wait, so you're she saying... She still that, is. You're saying the show yielded divorce for them? Well, I'm saying in the past season, the most recent season, they are all single. Huh. In past seasons, they there have been people in relationships, but oftentimes, like, they'll just, like, cast a new housewife, and it'll just be like, hi, I've never been married, I have no kids, I own a business, and they're just like, she's a real housewife. Like, the word has no meaning anymore, but... Um, Oh, you're picking. I see, because you're saying like, what is the point of? Okay, so that's interesting. Then the you can dissect like, what is house? It basically means the idle rich, right? 
Like, well, it, which, I as mean, long as you're well, that's not what yeah. it meant in the beginning of the right. franchise. Right, but though. that's but that's what we're deconstructing. As long as you're idle rich and you're, li- I mean, the, if you're like a modern rich, like you know, woman of that demographic, your life is basically the same whether you but choose to live idle. with should a man. They, yeah, or, should they call it the? Not. They're not idle. They're they're all business owners. Yeah, so but that's but that's the problem with the modern rich because most rich people, the rich people of today, in terms of how much like you know compare how much they work compared with how much they used to work back when we just like we're openly a feudal society, um, th- is is way more. I mean, like rich people today work a lot. That doesn't mean that they are like you know that they don't have like ill-gotten gains that you know that are kind of flowing to them from a larger systemic you know font. So, like, just because you put in a lot of hours at your Wall Street job, for example, which, you know, that industry arguably makes its employees work harder than any other. If it was a factory job, it would vi- there would be have been a union against it long ago. But they make so much money that it doesn't matter. So when I say idle rich, I don't mean, like, they're actually not putting in work or they're not industrious, but rather they're just living this super, super, like, overclass life, which is interesting to watch on TV. Also, the only um, memory I actually have of watching uh, The Real Housewives in New York is there's a scene where um, one of them is, like, meeting her boyfriend's, uh, her, her daughter's boyfriend, and they're having, like, a big fancy dinner, and it is in the smallest living room I've ever seen. And it, I was, when I was moving here, and I was like, holy shit, even they live in, like, very tight quarters. That's what it's like. Yeah. And she was wearing a pendant that was a gigantic... Like Rick Ross type, <laughs> like necklace, and that probably cost twenty thousand dollars, no, two hundred thousand dollars, and uh, their living room was like the size of this kitchen. So you're saying I'm doing pretty good? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I'm talking yes. about, like with the an article on the e- the economic benefits, because it's like on one hand, like I would love to see how much money they make from this show, like directly, but also like more importantly indirectly, because now like Vicky started off as like she's an insurance business. Now it's a fucking like empire, yeah. and that's all the so real skinny girl yeah. stuff took off because yeah, of the show, right? Exactly. But, yeah. So, that's but she example. but she had a pre existing business before that, right? She so she had her business, and like in the first season that Bethany Frankel was on, like she would go to grocery stores. They would film her at grocery stores, like trying to give out free like skinny girl cupcakes. Now she's like a millionaire hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over when when my old roommate worked for forbes like they did a whole profile like they did a whole on bethany profile. yeah on bethany yeah like they then he he came home one day with a bunch of skinny girl margaritas like why the hell do we have skinny girl margarita and he's like oh this, that's this awesome woman. i was like this is just what she brought all this stuff to don't ask office. questions <laughs> he's like we're and then we had a fun weekend <laughs> okay my my roommates Open um right yeah when i first moved to the city my roommates worked on Celebrity Apprentice and this was before Donald Trump became our president and uh, they were the youngest on the show so they were like 22 and one day they came home with like 15 cases of uh, beer garitas of Bud Light like lime margaritas but it was like all different kinds of flavors and for like four weeks (laughs) we just drank these disgusting drinks yeah uh, you, I, they must have had shit about Trump that they like knew from that show. He didn't. They never saw him. Yeah. Like they weren't they because they were kind of like lowly. Um, she was like a, an assistant in the art department, so I think they saw him a couple times. He would like come through the. Ca- they don't have. I'm sorry, they don't. 
Do you just walk through the art department being like, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, they had no <laughs> idea how much they were supposed to hate him. Like, because yeah. when you think back on Trump, like, I didn't think twice about Donald Trump when before he like well, put himself in the ring politically. Well, because he was irrelevant. Though. I mean, right, like, I feel like I would like to think that if I were spending time around him, I would be like, this man is horrendous in every by every marker. He doesn't hide that. No, he does, that's true. He actually advertises it. People in the New York area knew him as this kind of clown who was mostly bankrupt but could cruise on his like celebrity and mostly his fam- like his wealthy family bailing him out. So like we've always just kind of known him as this weird cartoon sideshow who's not really a real true representative of New York. He's like this kind of like car- cartoon character who who sits on the sideline, but I could see when I was watching him and I was trying to explain to my other fellow like New York coworkers, I'm like, I, don't you see the appeal this guy has? If you've never been exposed to him and you just are in the middle of the country, he's like, well, your life sucks now and I'm going to make it better. And look, at I live in a gold tower in Manhattan. They'd be like, hell yeah. They're like this guy, this guy's doing something right. Like, you know, I, I think there's something to that. And like, yeah, I he's think, like the Chester J. Lampwick guy. Yeah. Like on a solid gold house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rocket car. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, so I guess that's what I'm saying is that like, yeah, even if you if you had been exposed to him beforehand, you, he didn't really have these kind of, I mean, maybe he did if you knew really knew him, like these racist connotations to him, or anything. he was just like a he was just like a celebrity gossip kind of guy. Okay. Anyway, so that's uh, uh, we like have touched literally nothing of what we talked about. So uh, do you want to like? Um, I mean, like we wait. Do uh, you do you edit this? Oh yeah. hell yes! Okay. Are you kidding? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Heavily. Okay. Yeah. 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 Are they usually boring? Just saying. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. This entire podcast is us just bloviating constantly. So. Do you so always we, have guests? Uh, we try to. Yeah, we try like, to. As often it. as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you like to come back? Yeah, you want to <laughs> come back? Always. Experience? Always. We, have, yeah, uh, we only have... How many returning... Can I take Lenny's place? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're off the cast. Sorry. I control <laughs> the means of the production. <laughs> I'm going to launch a, a, a reality show about getting my podcast spot back. <laughs> no, actually, why don't we just start a f- dueling podcast and this might actually get us more... No, Absolutely, right. yeah. yeah. Start some like <laughs> fake rivalry. Yeah, we're, I'll be Klaus Kinski and you're... Um, Werner Herzog. No, was I'm gonna Klaus try Kinsey to. And, uh, what's, what was his rival? Uh, dude, I'm gonna send a fucking bear after you to get to eat nice. you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna try to win my spot back by coming with a uh, tagline for your movie. Awesome. Uh, I'll take two it. sisters Becky, enter, you, one you, leaves. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a good one. Because you're both libertarians. I am absolutely no. We hate <laughs> libertarians. Even though we do have. Good. Okay, you know that what, was a test. <laughs> you know what's interesting though? We do have crypto. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. give. We, yeah, we are crypto people. But like, <laughs> oh, for um, sure, you're men. Yeah. But I also had sex, so like, I'm different from most crypto people. But um, you should actually, start a podcast where you uh, talk about cryptocurrency, but while you're having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. It might be. Our, our cryptocurrency episode was one of the most listened to. That would hit number coming. one on Apple so fucking fast. Move out of the way, Michael Barbaro. <laughs> We're coming for you. I was talking to a friend um, who is a straight guy who uh, is like mostly friends with women. And we were talking about that. And he was like, you know, man, it's just like every fucking straight man, all they want to talk about is cryptocurrency. And like the next day, and I was, I was agreeing with him. I was like, dude, every hot guy... All they want to talk about is cryptocurrency, and that's why like I can't date anyone. And the next day, on I was on the train on Metro North, and I see this like really hot guy, and I was like checked him out, and he was reading a book, and he like turns, and it was introduction <laughs> to cryptocurrency, and I screamed, I was like, no! Hold on, guys, 
I know where we're going to make our millions. Erotic cryptocurrency fan Ooh. fiction. Yeah. That is, yeah. once this film gets picked up at uh, Con or something like that. You should the write like fever? a cryptocurrency version of cat person. Yeah. <laughs> crypto person. It's like the same story, except the guy loves cryptocurrency. <laughs> and all he's actually has no flaws other than that. But he's like not, he's actually in shape. Um, actually, we should talk about, have you ever read cat person? Yeah. We should talk about that. It's too late. It's, it <laughs> is too late. I think everyone, the cat, is out of the bag. On the- oh, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was really good. And I usually don't like short stories because I feel like they kind of punch you in the face a little too hard, and I'm like not super into that. I agree. I well, I agree about short stories. Yes, I too. There was a. I like the. I like Cat Person. Um, I could tell I liked it because most short stories that I'm like, I tell myself, I'm going to read a short story and I start reading it. I'm like, ah, forget it. Like, you know, like I'm yeah. just kind of like, eh. but that one I actually was like, oh, it was well written. And I was like, I wanted to read it from start to finish. Yeah, I love I how you're like, I could tell I liked it. Because I, I could tell I liked it because I read it, <laughs> which normally my attention deficit, deficit disordered uh, brain is just like, you don't like this, throw it away. <laughs> what did you think about Cat Person? I thought it was incredible. I mean, like, I thought, like, not only it, I thought it really well uh, showed how the mating dance is as mechanical as texting. I thought it did, and like, texting is a fine venue to host the mating dance, but that's so different from romance that, like, once you port it over to that, it totally falls apart. Um, I loved seeing the like female perspective. You know, we we as guys, a lot of us are not attractive and um, don't care or like should care more, and like don't work out enough and stuff like that, and Speak for are yourself, balding man. and <laughs> <laughs> other problems that I have, and like it's and so but the but the way that we uh, justify it is basically that like oh like physical attractiveness is less important to women, and to see how uh, basically. It, it's not a diminishment of like the physical chemistry with someone in that story that, that throws her off, but rather its presence among a bunch of other factors that go into her uh, attraction or not attraction to him in this kind of push-pull, push-pull relationship. Um, the, seeing this like meteorological combination of, of factors of what she's actually attracted to come together and explain so vividly is fascinating. And it was actually a window into like thinking that I have obviously wondered at but never experienced um so uh yeah and and just like it kind of shows how the classical male model of like sex equals conquest is so flawed and such a shallow pyrrhic victory it fucked me up but i loved it (laughs) what i think is one of the most fat well what i think is the most fascinating thing about cat person was like Women, for women, it was like this immediate, like, yes, that we recognize so clearly ourselves for the most part. But I think like, to me, the more interesting thing was like, first of all, you, you know, you kind of got this feeling about the guy, but like, you couldn't be sure at no point, even as a woman, I can be sure. And I like, and then also it was, it was her own internal monologue. Like I am, I'm not like her at all. Like as far as women go, I'm extremely like unafraid to like say my piece, to speak my mind. But I have a lot of friends who have that exact same inner monologue and it's like these are the sorts of things where like when we're looking at and like god forbid like we won't talk about the me too movement that long but like when you look at um 
you know, these specific situations like Aziz and sorry, that mm-hmm. thing where people were like, well, he didn't, you know, he's not a mind reader. It's like, okay, the question isn't like, what did Aziz and sorry do wrong? Or like, did he, is he a rapist? Is he not? The question is like, what have we as a society done to create this generation of women and generations before them who are afraid to say what they want and need? Hot take. The person who said that best was extremely maligned for it. And that was Caitlin Flanagan. Um, I think I, I just said it best. Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, back to Denver, I think, back to Denver. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that is, that is exactly what, cause I think you're right. I think you pinpointed what I had hard, me reading it as a straight white man, um, was that I read the story as you identified it as this immediate recognition of like, oh my, like to me, I was like kind of reading, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, you know, I was like kind of like discovering and that's what drove the story for me. That was why it was in- an interesting read, I guess. But I was like, Oh, and then it was kind of like revealing, I guess, for me. I guess it wasn't recognition, as opposed to recognition immediately being like, oh, I identify with this. I was like, huh. Oh, okay. Like, you know, like I was like that, like I was like kind of like, I I was like, what fucked up thing is going to happen here? Or like, what's going on? Or what are these subtle things that are going on? But I didn't really know, uh, I like, I didn't know what the reveal was going to be. Or I was like, what's going on between these two people? I was kind of like more curious about like this this kind of awkward relationship that was going on. So I think that's that's interesting that, you know, from a gender perspective that you had this thought of just like, oh, I know, I, I you're hooked on this. I know exactly what they're talking about. And I was like, what's what's happening here? <laughs> like, uh, please explain this to me, to my dumb brain. I'm See, also dumb. Spurgy crypto guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, back to the blockchain. That's <laughs> and, uh, the blockchain. Now, that's a title. Now, story. transaction story. fees are at an all-time low. <laughs> Everyone's trying to shit on me because Bitcoin fell again. But we're still bullish on Bitcoin here on Infinity License, and we won't go back. We won't, we won't steer it back to that way. <laughs> uh, let's talk about steering. Uh, let's finish up with uh, <laughs> let's not drive a, a chat about the middle way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Becky, you recently uh, came across something from the Far East. Um, That's and, what they call uh, it. I did. Yeah. All right. So um, would you like to? Yeah. Um, I recently read When Things Fall Apart mm-hmm. by Pima Chodron. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but hopefully. Uh, and... My friend sent it to me when I was having a really hard week. Um, I uh, was off from my job for three months of medical disability leave because I was diagnosed with this like hand issue and I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to work again, basically in the same. So I was like questioning my whole identity, which is like A, as a writer and B, as like a person who will be successful which I think is how a lot of New Yorkers view themselves Mm -hmm. um and she sent me this book and it was like so I it was basically a Buddhist self-help book it's kind of like the Buddhist self-help book I think um and it was written originally 20 years ago and um it was the 20th anniversary edition and basically it talks like I don't know like you guys are familiar with Buddhist ideas like for me I mean there are several ideas that I can like I won't summarize them all, but I'll say the ones that like struck me the most. So number one was hope and fear Mm -hmm. being uh, two sides of the same coin and hopelessness and confidence being two sides of the same coin and sort of that idea being encompassed in like living in the moment and not, and like believing like this moment is the best and only moment that there is and the only moment that you're promised. And for that, and and like that's hopelessness. That's like what they refer to as hopelessness. And really like I've, I 
have spent so much of my life living in the future, you know, thinking like I'm going to be, you know, a better person. I'm going to be a more successful person, you know, a more desirable person. Um, and that completely changed my perspective, which was cool. Yeah. I was also a person who was living completely in the future and was like, okay, I have to do this because if I do this, then I get that. And if I do this, then I'm going to be this. I'm going to be either a good person or I'm going to be a good part of society and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it also led to me essentially having, I mean, not related to your medical condition, but I also essentially had like a nervous breakdown and and I kind of had like a real revelation and just had to make a decision and then was exposed to literature about being kind of like freely hopeless or uh, I I suppose like an ego death being like that the mind the voice in your head isn't what's controlling you just be aware that that's your ego like Buddhist thought talks a lot about like ego egotism and taming the thoughts going on in your head Mm -hmm. Um, they call that like as like some of them some Buddhists I don't know if it's Tibetan Buddhism but they talk about it's like it's like the chattering monkey in your brain that's always like kind of like go do this go do this you got to do this and then you'll be okay Um, and so then when I got over that, and I, I and actually I do, I do currently, now I'm going to say the asshole white guy thing where I, now I meditate. So, um, but it does help because it's just like a lot of Buddhist thought goes into like cognitive behavioral therapy. Now they've, they've, they've used this idea as like a way to, te- like psych- psychologists are using Buddhism, um, I think like, uh, to to administer treatment for people in a are way that's, they're using the tactics or they're using, they're using the, the entire like thought system no not like Buddhism. not necessarily like the sevenfold path and all that kind of stuff they're just doing they're using the ideas of like behind tibetan buddhist, buddhist yeah. meditation to be like hey if you can de-identify from like these thoughts and have no attachment to these thoughts mm-hmm. or these outcomes then you you it's going to be better for you your it has health. been yeah. crazy to see how commodified mindfulness has become like you know the fact the people just so flippantly talk about like headspace the app now and I it's like this <laughs> comes I mean, i'm sure it's useful but like the fact that it's been basically divorced just like yoga was from any kind of deeper uh spiritual you know moment of of repose or full circle. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird. And it, and it, it's, it's, it's this a la carte satisfaction thing that I think has really fucked us up as a culture. Uh, cause you can't, it's like a deep journey that you should be like willing to kind of go on with letting go of a lot of stuff that you thought mattered. Um, and, uh, and the fact that they, they kind of package it as this little thing that you can have is, is weird. Um, are you doing any like, mindfulness meditation or anything now um no no i mean i've thought about meditating but for me it was more just like my entire philosophy was changed and you know i think that when your identity is like thrown into question that uh it, it was really helpful for me to read that and especially now that like i know that i i can write and I can like do all of these things like it, it made me a lot more like I don't brave yeah. I don't know if brave yeah. is it maybe it made me more fearless is a better word do you did it shut out the chattering monkey yeah like really in a big way I mean I, like I think the idea that emotions are inherently delusional like you know I think mm, yeah. um one of the I mean god where do, where do I even start like one of the things is like we, ha- I have had, and many, many people, especially people who are creative, feel a need for affirmation, and especially women. I will say that, like, women need just permission from every fucking corner to pursue anything they want to do. And, like, the truth is, like, 
if, if that's what you need to like go forth and like pursue whatever project you want to do, whatever it looks like, give up now. Yeah. You know, um, I have a good, the book that I'm reading now that she's also a Buddhist meditator, but Tara, Tara Brach or Brack, I think her name is, it's mm-hmm. called radical acceptance, but she talks a lot about that. So it's like, um, but I think, and she's, she's a great example of a woman in the kind of spiritual community, but she's also a psychologist and all this other stuff. It's like a um, Sam Harris type, like, uh, yeah, I'm Buddhist, but I also hate everything yeah. about spirituality. But also I think we should blow up every, uh, Islamic country. Um, but no, Tara Brach is a lot more, I think she's a little bit more of a, uh, peaceful, less, less aggro, uh, not certainly not a Sam Harris type. I'm sorry, Brian, we're just better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that I I think that's great. I think that also I share a similar experience where it was just kind of like, I, I, it wasn't even so much about permission, but it was just about how it's like I just have to do these things out of responsibility to myself or other people or like that I that I I have this identity. I own this. This is who I am. So this is who I am. And even it's kind of funny. Like Kat Green, who's on this podcast, she talks about it now. She's like. You're, she told me, the, she's like, it's so funny talking to you now because when I first met you when you were like 22 or 23, you were so serious. Like you were such a serious person. And I didn't even think of myself in that way, but that's how she perceived it. And now I've just kind of let go of any attachment to identity or perception. It's freeing. I don't know if you found this. It's, uh, it's, I don't know if you've let go that much. I mean, I've let go. I am hey, I, breaking news on this podcast. I am <laughs> completely 100% enlightened. <laughs> that will be I have ASMR and 100% enlightened uh, don't at me <laughs> uh, the uh, intro music is going to be Nirvana <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh boy can it be Drunk in Love by Beyonce yes. yeah yeah sure we should just interrupt <laughs> the we, conversation with that song periodically song. throughout yeah. <laughs> yeah. it just, it just bu- bubbles in and bubbles up yeah Uh, when I first like encountered a, like that in a, in a really impactful way was when I was in a college class about existentialism because I think that Western existentialism kind of approaches the same mindfulness presence concept. It's not as mature and holistic a worldview as I think Buddhism is from what I understand of Buddhism, but existentialism deals a lot with the duality of like we're dying and we're alive and that means we're dying. Um, you know, like there is tomorrow, but today is, it's always going to be today, you mm-hmm. know, and it, and it, and there is no such thing as tomorrow basically, but you, you know, and, um, they didn't have to go further than that in creating this philosophy for life. It's like, we don't have to make up like this fucking fairy tale about, you know, our guy just came back from the dead and <laughs> You know, yeah. congratulations. Well, yeah. But like, uh, you yeah. know, they don't need any of that stuff. It's just like this is a way to uh, be a more fulfilled and conscientious person, uh, exist more fully in the world, and like that is going to do a lot more for you than trying to get to heaven after you die, and a lot more for other people. Yeah, too, you know? well, totally. There yeah. are there are. Let's be clear. There are certain sects of like radical Buddhism that have to do with like cultural things that Christianity falls down the. Yeah, place. there's Rohingya like oppression, but so there. But there's also like there's there's some other versions of like so it's not it's not 100 percent. i share your sentiment where it's like it is kind of crazy that they now we're living in this time where westerners are buying 
like packaged a little bit packaged spirituality, which is like would have previously been a little bit more of a uh, a hardened spiritual journey. But I I, I disagree just because I'm like, well, it's like it's clearly a good philosophy that's helping a lot of people get access to either like feeling okay about their lives or feeling confident to do whatever they want to do. So in that case, then just like that, it, it's a t- it suits our time. So yeah, I I think like I've always been a huge skeptic when it comes to self help books mm. and. As a woman, you have <laughs> friends who get you self-help books yeah. and they always are called something like there's my friend got me one last year. There was called like, you are a badass. <laughs> and it was all about just like, you can do it. And like, there was a, a chapter on like money and it's like, don't be afraid of money, girl. Like get that money. And I was like, okay, let's talk about capitalism. For yeah, you. Yeah. you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I feel like. You ever check out that joint women who run with the wolves? Hell yeah. (laughs) Surfboard. Surfboard. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, it was, this finally was, it wasn't even really a self-help book. It was more just like, okay, your life is falling apart. Take a deep breath and just listen to this philosophy. The first time I read it, I was like, I called my friend. I was like, dude, that, that's depressing. (laughs) Like Buddhism is for the severely hopeless. And now, and like after, you know, a couple months of having read it and then read it again, because it was really dense and just full of ideas that I'd never even considered living in the United States. And now I'm just like, Oh, like, no, they're right. You know, and obviously question everything, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it's just, there's so much chiller than like most self-help books. I also, when your friends go Buddhist, it's awesome because you don't have to get them birthday gifts anymore because, like, that's the root of suffering is <laughs> wanting shit. And that's so. why I will never be fully Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> you still have attachment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Becky, this is awesome to uh, talk to you. You got to come back on. Yeah, you, real soon. you've also. We're going to do the cryptocurrency episode. Yeah, we'll do that. We're going to do, <laughs> a, we're gonna we do should, an episode honestly. that's half cryptocurrency, half uh, your movie, because it'll be further along at that point. Yeah, we can just. This can be like my documentary. Uh, Brian, you got anything to plug? No, I'm just doing work at the Brooklyn Comedy Collective. I also am going to be working on a show tomorrow called. It's a Facebook live streaming show or Twitch live streaming show called Dark of the Night. They do it every Wednesday. But they also do a call-in section, so it's like at eight thirties on Wednesday, and it's like a it's a spoof. It's like a it's a a paranormal show. It's like a joke about paranormal shows. But you like, guys want to catch something on Twitch that's not psychotic racist bullshit? Uh, it's not psychotic, and it's this, not, it's not video games. Up. It's also on Facebook Live. Cool, um, but yeah. All right, um, yeah, that's it for this week. Um, yeah, see you guys later. Bye. Right, have a good one. Bye. We'll be all night.